Welcome to the Insider Safe Place for Men podcast show. Because every male survivor deserves hope, healing, support, and a BMW. And here's your male survivor, leadership coach, and hypnotherapist, Thomas Edward. everybody welcome to the insiders podcast and yes it is a new year we're in 2022 and this is thomas edward coach t coach t bone coming to you of course from the wonderful sacramento california and here we are on this great and actually uh, today saturday saturday morning um and it is a new year this is great this is wonderful it's wonderful we're blessed and fortunate of course to be here with all the things that are going on inside of our world and it's great for us to be able just to share a little time together all right so if you thought about the last podcast i want to ask you how is your new year what did you decide that you know this year going to be my goal to work towards or to work on in dealing with the issues from my childhood sexual abuse wow that's a big question right you know and the thing is we talk about you know people talk about resolutions and i'm not really a big person into resolutions um i just like to you know set the goals and then we just start working towards the goals and so those of you that work with me when we're doing the coaching that's what we're doing when i'm asking you what's your healing vision what does it look like where do you want to be what we're doing is we're setting goals around our healing vision and where we want to actually be in life where do you see yourself you know that's one of the questions i always um when i first start coaching with someone especially if they they, they sign up with me and they're going to work with me for a year and i say okay you know so it's been you know three years since you've had you know your coaching three years down the line later tell me what you see what do you expect you know what's going on and as they start, you know, talking about those things, you know, where they are, what they look like, maybe who their partner or their spouse is and, and what's going on in their life, they're starting to set the stage and the path for where they want to go, where they want to be. And that's just so uh, uh, interesting. Sometimes we call that um, reverse engineering, right? And so you kind of start with where you want to be first and then you work your way back. And that's what we actually do in trying to work through many of the issues. So I just want you to, to think about, you know, this year, first of all, I just want you to start off by just what do you have to be grateful for this year? And I know the Omicron is running around and, and you know, whatever burning out and people are, are getting sick. And so sometimes, you know, amidst all these different adversities, sometimes it's difficult for us to be grateful. But you know, it's really important for us just to take time out and I'm going to say each day, not just each year, each day to really think about what you are grateful for. And I know for some of us that can be hard, but, you know, sometimes we need to just take it, take it down a couple of levels. Like, you know, sometimes when I'm when I'm driving around, I'm just I'm just so thankful oh, that I have a car or and uh, thankful, you know, that I can walk just different things. And for me, 
you know, it's like, okay, here I am in California. Uh, of course, renting. I don't. I'm trying to think. Are there any people in California that actually own their homes? <laughs> I'm sure there there's some. But man, you know, I walk around the block and I ask a lot of people, like, yeah, you know, we're renting for now. <clears throat> and that's just kind of where it is. But you know, still, uh, for me, just to think about, it's just so great to have a roof over my head, whatever a three bedroom home, like because. I come from a place where I was homeless for a while, right? And so sleeping under bridges and those different type of things and and the shelters, ooh, you don't want to be in the shelter sometimes because the stuff that goes on there. So, you know, when I wake up each morning, I'm just thankful. And I just say, thank you so much for allowing me to have a roof over my head, allow me to have this, you know, little blanket. Someone actually for Christmas, someone gave me this, um, it's one of those Pendleton like throw blankets oh man they are awesome I mean they just hold the heat in and you guys know me I'm kind of frugal so I'm the type of person that's like well you know since I'm here by myself except for when we have you know workshops and different type of things I'm one of those people where I hate the room that I'm in <laughs> that's the room that, that gets heated right so the rest of the house is kind of cool so, so somebody came by and they were visiting the other day and they came in like whoa it's kind of cool in here. I'm like, yep, it's a crisp 56 in here, inside here in this house. And But in my room where I have my little, you know, heater and stuff, it's it's warmer. It probably could be, you know, 70 or something like that. Uh, but that's because it's like, hey, uh, save. So it's like, since it's me, I don't need to heat the whole house right now. Uh, I do. If, if you're coming by to visit me and I know, yes, I'll turn the heat on for you. OK, let's just put it from that perspective. Uh, but no, it's like, okay, I just heat the room that I'm, that I'm in, or I just layer and I put on extra clothes, right? So remember originally I'm from Chicago. So, right. You just, you just layer up if you're going to go outside. And so if I'm going to go outside the room, I just layer up. Um, so that's kind of, uh, how it works, but you know, I'm just grateful for these actually cool California mornings because I know when the summertime gets here, it's going to be super hot. And so I am just relegating in these cool, cool mornings. I even think I tried some um, hot chocolate one morning. But, you know, it's just not the same. You know, it has to be, you know, you want it to be like down in the teens or something when you're enjoying that that hot chocolate. So, uh, you know, so for those friends and survivors and thrivers that I'll see at the end of January uh, by the border between Washington and Canada, hey, got to get some hot chocolate guys. All right. So today we're going to talk a, a little bit about, and this is something, you know, I always share with you guys, whatever comes up or in coaching sessions when I'm working with other individuals that I believe uh, might help you. Then we just kind of discuss it and talk about it. And this is kind of a, I'm going to say a long subject, not really drawn out, but there's just so many things behind it. So for those of you that are listening, I'm trying to, of course, keep to you know what I usually do between the 20, 25 minutes here. But those of you that are part of the Insiders membership, uh, we're going to really go into a little bit more depth over on that platform. And so, you know, if you're not, you're not a member there, just go up there, pick the level of engagement that you want to, whatever, 25, 35, 50, whatever it is that it has there, kind of like Patreon, and engage with us there also on that platform. But this was, a, this was the, I'm going to say, the subject that came up as I was uh, coaching and working with the client. And it's, it can be very prominent for many of us or very prevalent. And that is when we're working through the abuse and we have this, but this question comes up for us, 
why is it that I actually care about or love the person who perpetrated against me? Okay, my my abuser. And so, you know, I hear that so many times when I'm coaching and I'm working with male, male survivors. Um, and it's interesting because oftentimes what we'll notice is one of the patterns is, is now they're in their adult life. They are now in actually abusive relationships. And they're like, wow. And when we start connecting and putting the things together and they start seeing all, I'm going to say the reenactment patterns and things that are, that are going on, they're like, Oh, okay, this is starting to totally make sense. But still, one of the hard things is, well, why do, why do I still, you know, have love or, you know, feelings or empathy, whatever, for someone who hurt me so much? And it can be so strange. It can feel strange. It can be confusing. It feels even wrong, right? It's like to, to love or care for someone who has chosen to be abusive to you. And it really hurts and it's really confusing when it deals in the realm of course incest or intrafamilial abuse. Now, while these feelings I'm going to say sometimes can be difficult for us to, to understand, I want you to know something. They aren't strange. All right. So if you're thinking, well, I'm just a strange being in the bag of coffee beans, it's not true. They aren't strange. And one, actually, they aren't wrong either. And so, you know, even when we think about the whole concept of love and trust, and especially when the abuse takes place during our childhood, and we're actually developing all these things, we don't have words for them, you know, they can be kind of feelings. And so all these things are intermeshed or enmeshed together, it becomes real confusing. Because love isn't something I'm going to say that just disappears overnight. And the reason it is because it's a connection. It's an emotional attachment that you create with another person. And so for those of you that if your sexual abuse took place, especially during your, your early childhood, I want you to once again realize you really don't have that much control over developing this connection and emotional attachment that you're creating, whatever it is, with your sibling uh, that you're with your um, your parents, your your guardian, your caregiver, your cousin, whoever the person in, in your life that was within that, we're going to call that family unit and would even take it to extended family, that was part of the abuse. And because what happens is when you really think about, I'm going to say the energetics of it, and I'm going to explain it from energetics, love comes with a lot of investment of time, energy, and then, like we said, trust. And so it's not easy to just let go of a life that you've built, okay, or that has even been built with someone, whether they're abusive towards you or not. And so I just wanted to say if you know if you're struggling, if you're struggling with some of those feelings, maybe one of the things that this new year has has brought to you is the memory of maybe someone now that you, oh, that's one of my abusers, that's one of my perpetrators, but you know what? Uh, as a child, I, I loved that person. You know what? I'm an adult and I still kind of love that person, but they were an abusive person and you're trying to figure out what to do with it. Well, so here, are the, I want you to think about, here are some of the, the number of reasons that you know, this can really be difficult 
for us. And one of them is, is this, especially in our adult stage, we say, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. but the reality is oftentimes, even though we've had those bad times of abuse, we also remember some of the good times. And so when we think about abuse, this, this abuse, whatever type of abuse, and especially sexual abuse, it typically doesn't happen like right away, okay, in whatever relationship we are in. So whether it be, you know, in the family, it could be you know, someone that is close to you, maybe a family friend, cousin, or whatever. Usually the abuse doesn't happen, I'm going to say, right away in a relationship. But what happens is it, it tends to escalate over time. Now, remember, because of that investment of time, energy, and trust, well, you may remember from the beginning or parts of the relationship when the person was, you know, charming or seemed charming or thoughtful or loving, even if it was grooming. Okay. And this is one of the big things that I actually run into when I'm working with survivors is that their abuse is in the realm of grooming, where the individual, the perpetrator, the abuser is setting up the scenarios, the scenarios of trust, the scenario of love that develop that emotional attachment. And so then what's so devastating is, is that, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, these good qualities of this, this person and the, the great, you know, relative or friend that they were, or maybe how they contributed to helping me to, to grow. And so it's not, it's not shameful. I'm going to say to, to love someone for, I'm going to say who they could be, even though that's not who they really were underneath. That's the part that you saw. That's the part that you experience, and that was the part that you believed. So when we talk about that investment of time, love, and trust. But then what happens is, after those hurtful and destructive behaviors come into play, and they're gonna say, we're gonna say reach a peak, this is when the abuse is taking place in the relationship, that's when it becomes difficult for us, kind of like, you know, the cognitive dissonance, as we say, we're trying to hold those two conflicting, I'm going to say emotions and thoughts in play. And so that's really important. Now, here's the thing. Remember, especially if we're talking about doing our childhood, that there's nothing that, you know, we really could have, we could really have done or said to prevent the abuse and because it's not your fault. And remember, it has nothing to do with you, and it has everything to do with, I'm going to say, the choices and the power and the control that the perpetrator, the abuser used, even though they used, I'm going to say, the love, the trust, the time, all that is part of the grooming, right? And there's no way for you to you know, distinguish between, especially at that age, well, you know, what's true, what's not true. Can I trust this? Can I not trust that? Because you just don't have the capability to do it. You know, it, it's important. And um, for those of you that are going to be on the insiders, I'm going to post up um, the power and control wheel, right? So when we talk about, you know, um, the physical um, violence and sexual violence and, you know, remember when we talk about those stages, and for those of you who don't know, you know, the using the intimidation, um, using the emotional abuse, uh, using isolation, and that's like part of the whole grooming, right? 
minimizing, um, denying, blaming, um, and then just taking that and moving that into that whole circle of grooming and power and control. Now, here's something else that we might struggle with. And this is why I say, you know, as especially as kids, kids, we are, um, and that's funny, I'm saying we, but yeah, I'm thinking about myself, you know, in that perspective when the abuse would be. We are very, I'm going to say, we can be very complex and very, you know, aware of things, even though we're not aware of them. And this is, this is what, I, what I mean by that. The other thing is this to think about. So one of the struggles is, like we said, you start remembering those good times, and that was part of the grooming. But the other thing is that, especially if we're, I'm going to say, I run into this more when I'm dealing with survivors and the abuse occurred during their adolescent years. And when I think about the, the cognitive associations that are going on inside of the of the of the person oftentimes it's because with the perpetrator um they're thinking that okay well this person has experienced their own trauma um and so it's really interesting because when we think about abusive partner we're actually bringing them down to what we call just a basic human being level just like we would everyone else and so even though they're abusing us, we're thinking from the perspective, well, you know, there's, this is going on with mom or this is going on with dad. And so, you know, uh, they're being treated this way, whatever, by their spouse. And so because of that, that's probably one of the reasons that they're abusing me. And I don't want to put on any more pressure because they're already dealing with stuff. I mean, it is just amazing. Oftentimes when we're, I'm doing this and when we're doing the hypnotherapy with a client and uh, as I'm doing the hypnotherapy, and we're going back and as we call it revivifying, and they're sharing some of these things, if we wanna think about it now that they have the words, and they're saying that, yeah, you know, and I see mom, she's dealing with, she's dealing with dad and stuff, and dad is really hurting and mistreating her, and so I'm having sympathy for mom, and so then what mom is doing to me, I'm kind of uh, not really holding her responsible for it because I know she's going through a lot of stuff, and, and it's just, amazing like i said what we actually do and what the brain does and so we're thinking from the perspective well they're dealing with their our, our abuser our perpetrator they're dealing with their own trauma whatever it could be past or it could be present that's going on right now and maybe they're dealing with you know being an alcoholic or some type of illness or maybe they had an abusive childhood now first let me say of course there's no excuse Okay, there's never, there's never any excuse for whoever to abuse you. Okay, parent, child, sibling, whatever, there's, there's never an excuse. Okay, so abuse, especially when it's coming from an adult, is always a choice and it's never okay. Okay, but the reality is, is that even though we might love this person. We might have this connection to this person. What happens is because we're thinking about what they're dealing with already at an early age, we're trying to figure out well how to fix. Now, I celebrate those things when I'm working with clients and we're in the hypnotherapy and those things are coming up for them. We actually celebrate that, you know, wow, to be such a child uh, at an early age to have such empathy for people. 
And then what I try to do is we try we try and reframe it and say, okay, so now can we have that empathy for ourselves, that same empathy that we was having? Because now we're the ones that actually need the, the empathy. And so we're able to broadcast it out to the world. But sometimes we need to rein it and bring it back in and direct it towards ourself. All right. So that's one of the other reasons when we're talking about why, why do I feel like I have an emotional attachment? Why do I love my abuser? They hurt me. Here's the third thing that I want you to think about. And it's simply this. And I know I've already gone over my time, but that's okay. I'm going to talk just a few more minutes here. And like I said, we'll pick this up on the other side for those that are part of the insider um, members. So when we think about, well, why do I love this? Love can also be what we call a survival technique. Okay. So what that simply means is this for many survivors, many victims, feelings of love for an, for the abusive person, the abusive individual, the family member can also be a survival technique. Now, it, it's very difficult, I'm going to say, for a, um, a person who has not been abused uh, to understand how someone that they love, someone who claims to love them, could actually harm and mistreat them. And this is where you run into, especially in domestic violence, like, why is that person staying with that person? Why, why don't they just get out? Why don't they just, just leave? And so if you've never been in that situation, it, I'm going to say it, it's hard. And I'm going to say you shouldn't even make that judgment. Okay. In, in other words, you try to be supportive, maybe try to help them out of the situation. But think about it. To try and cope, to detach from the pain and the terror, I'm going to say by, you know, subconsciously beginning to, to see things from the abusive person or view is very difficult. And so it's a process. And oftentimes, especially when we're talking about the abuse taking place during our you know, early childhood, oftentimes we're not able to process those different things. And so when we talk about love is actually, we're going to say it becomes a survival technique for us. And so let's just say we're in a situation where um, we're going to say uh, the victim, if we're the victim, we're the ones that being abused. You're like, well, oftentimes, what does this look like, this survival technique? Well, actually, what we do as a survivor, the victim, we start to begin to agree with the abuser or certain aspects, I'm going to say, of the, the person's whatever personality or perspective. Okay, And then those do actually fade over time. And what this looks like is by doing this, what we're doing as victims, we actually learn how to appease we learn to how to appease the abusive person, okay, in our lives. Now, those of you that also have worked with me, you know, we talk about this in the future. Oftentimes, we talk about compliance patterning, okay, which just means people pleaser. But that's where some of this oftentimes is developed from as a survival technique. And so we're talking about love becoming that survival technique. And so we need to survive. And that need to survive is going to be compounded if we're going to say, especially if we as victims depend upon the abusive parent, okay, the abusive um, caregiver, whatever, you know, financially, physically, emotionally, in all the other ways. And so that love, that attachment becomes a way for us actually to survive, to deal with it. 
And so, you know, we might want to believe the things we're going to say that the abusive person, you know, that they're that they're going to change later. And even as kids, sometimes we, you know, when I think about, you know, my abuse and he's like, you think, oh, well, maybe this time it's going to be different. And of course, it doesn't end up being different. Or sometimes, you know, the person that's grooming you or abusing you, they'll say something like they they love you. Now, that makes it even difficult for us, of course, as survivors, because now we've got these two different ideas, like we said, the cognitive dissonance of what love is and what it looks like, which then really affects us in adulthood, especially in, in dating relationships and, and, and intimacy. But once again, love becomes that survival technique. Now, once again, no matter how it's used, remember abuse is still about the power and the control. But the reason I'm doing this is because I just want you to realize that it is possible when we're talking about our abuse situation to actually have that love or attachment for our family member or someone who, who abused us at the same time. You're holding this level of like, why did they do that to me? Disgust. How could, how could they do that to me? I'm mad and, and I'm angry. And so I'm sharing this with you because oftentimes what happens is there's no place for you to actually talk about this. And so you're like, wait a minute. Okay, so let me just go and talk to my friend and say, hey, you know what? I don't know what to do because I'm really having empathy and whatever for this person who abused me, but yet at the same time, I'm angry at them. And they look at you like, what's wrong with you? Well, they haven't experienced that before. And so it's hard for them to see it from that perspective. But I want you to know this is a safe place and this is a safe place where we get to have those conversations. And like I said, that's one of the reasons I enjoy doing what I'm doing, because often it's the conversation. It's the place where we get to talk about these things that they never get talked about in any other places. Right. Even like people come to me and they haven't. They're like, man, we never even talked about this in my therapies and therapy sessions. OK, um, understandable. Right. But you're now in a place where people who have dealt with that have thought about that understand some of those things and that's the reason i like to call this a safe place because here you can talk about whatever it is right you're not condemned you're not judged you're not seen as crazy but everyone's just kind of bowing their head like yep yep i get it and i understand it and it's so great to be in a place like that to have that type of support where you are under Stood. All right, guys, yo, man, see, I'm, I, I got close. We're almost at 30 minutes. But for those of you that will be on the Insiders podcast, we'll, we're going to go in and we're going to talk uh, even more about this. And we're going to talk about um, some things to work with this. We're going to talk about idolation of repetition compulsion. We're going to talk about the cycle abuse, um, empathy, all these different type of things, intermittent reinforcement, all those wonderful things that we don't have time to talk about. Uh, here today. So I hope for those of you that want to be on that side, hey, feel free to go up, sign up for your membership and join us there. All right, guys, as we said, once again, this is the new year. This is a wonderful new year. And I'm going to ask you, what are you planning to do? We talked about that healing vision. What are you planning to do this year that's going to move you to where you want to be. That's what I want you to, to think about. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go to move you to where you want to be? 
Well, remember, this is always a safe place, safe place for men. And just remember, you're never alone here. And remember, the person that's talking to you now loves you. All right, guys, until our next podcast, Happy New Year. <laughs>